0: safe lives we want to end domestic abuse for everyone for good. As part of a new project gathering the voices of men and boys senior communications officer Ruth interviewed Justin Hancock. Justin is a qualified and experienced sex and relationships educator who offers training and resources to professionals working with young people. Justin also runs Bish UK a comprehensive and well respected sex and relationships education website for everyone over 14. Thank you so much Justin for agreeing to take part in this podcast, that's okay. Um, it would be great if you could just start by introducing yourself a little bit so people know your background and your areas of work.
1: Um, I've been a sex and relationships educator since 1999 so I guess that's 20 years now and um, I got into it through youth work um, and I got into doing that kind of work through youth work by, doing, by having an interest in doing work with young men around masculinities and um, uh, we used to call it like challenging macho values and um, a lot of homophobia work and anti racism work and uh, anti sexism work um, that was in derby where i 'm from and then um, I, um, did, I the main thing i 've been doing actually is working with young people and young men in um, in clinical services like outreach services so one so the first so two of the main projects i um, Worked on was a project called spaceman and another one called bam uh, and they were um trying to get young men to come into young people's sexual health services because young mm. men were l- low tenders of sexual health services and I think still are um, although we don't really have due to the cuts to sexual health services we don't really have as many as we should have mm. uh, I was talking about cuts a lot probably today <laughs> um so uh so that was about kind of um sending out. Uh, very kind of um, inclusive and positive messages towards young men to say that they are welcome to come to a, you know, to come to these services, and, bar, and part of that was doing a lot of delivery in, of RSC in schools as well. Mm. Um, and um, so, they're projects that I did for around um, eleven, twelve years, uh, but also during this kind of time, I've been training practitioners. Um, as well as working with young people directly via my website called Bish which I've been uh, running kind of um, seriously for the last eight years um, and that's um, uh, that's a young people sex and relationships advice website for young people who are over 14 and that's mostly visited by young men although I think it's about 60-40 young men, 40% young women which apparently, um, is unlike other similar websites which is mostly in women accessing them Um, and um, so I work with all genders now but just in terms of the um, uh, who comes to the website then you know that's what Google tells me uh, comes to the websites Um, and, um, and I also create resources for practitioners as well as running training courses for them and stuff. I do a lot of stuff, yeah, I do work with <laughs> a lot adults of as well. That's probably not so relevant for this one,
0: but yeah, sure. great, thank you. Um, so we're talking in this project about the sort of attitudes that young men and boys have around relationships, so I just wonder if, if when you work with a group of young people, are there any sort of common themes you're finding, or what sort of attitudes do they tend to have when you start work in terms of what they deem to be acceptable in a relationship?
1: Well, I think it's not actually that much different from the broader culture mm-hmm. of, of, what, of what we're all taught about, what we're meant to do with relationships. And actually, honestly, it's not that different from um, adults that I work with when I mm-hmm. train adults, or adults that I work with with my, um, with my colleague Meg John when we do work with adults, or when I deliver training courses with practitioners, or even my friends. I mean, it is like... You know, the overwhelming narratives are that uh, romantic relationships are most important and that you, you need to get into them to have your kind of, to find the one and have your happily ever after and you do all of your emotional intimate work in that particular relationship. All other relationships are less important when you get one of those mm-hmm. and it's our life's mission to get into those and that's the kind of stuff that keeps coming up. and. Uh, we'll come to this later, but that's what happens when you don't teach it, <laughs> uh, and when you don't teach it in any kind of detail whatsoever, um, the that we're just if you if there's a vacuum of um, teaching about uh, relationships, then people go with the cultural scripts, and mm. that is what a lot of the, the dominant cultural script says. And you just mm. look at rom coms and. Yeah. France and, and yeah, yeah, and
0: those sorts of cultural um, narratives have got a lot of problematic things to say about masculinity and
1: and control and yeah. and and also like the this is one of the things about um I, I, the terms healthy and unhealthy relationship are a bit are terms that I'm not entirely convinced about. I think mm. they're like just different spectrums of abuse going on so Mm -hmm. you know the idea that this is you know like a kind of EastEnders classic abusive relationship is abusive and then all these other ones are really not there are constantly um um opportunities for relationships to opportunities is the wrong word but um uh I'll go that for now until I find a better word (laughs) for relationship dynamics to become abusive and um and I don't think it's as clear-cut as um, someone deliberately, I mean there's often, de- so for example gaslighting which yeah. I've written about at my website and young people find uh, increasingly becoming aware of, the the dynamics um, can be very abusive there but the culture is already set up to reinforce the abusive dynamics yeah. straight away because we have all this you have to find your one and once you've found your one and they're the right mm-hmm. person then that's it and so culture kind of gaslights us as well as being gaslit in their relationships, so there's like the, I think the, the kind of, um, the, the idea that young people have a different set of kind of mm-hmm. uh, relationship expectations to adults I think is something we need to stop thinking yeah. about because we all have it and we all do it. Um, and um, but also the idea that there are some relationships that are clearly abusive and some relationships that clearly aren't I think is an unhelpful kind of binary mm-hmm. as well.
0: Absolutely, I think there's so much that exists like you say, in that spectrum and all we ever hear about is the, the sort of usually physical and the very sort of um, air quotes the high end of the yeah. spectrum when yeah, actually yeah. things can be really problematic somewhere further down the line. Yeah. And I guess things like, you know, things that are deemed to be romantic mm. by popular culture are actually yeah. controlling and
1: yeah, big abusive. Time. Yeah. And like things like seduction. Um, is uh, often really abusive. I mean basically um, the most important thing with relationships is consent. The most important thing with everything is consent mm. and that means giving and that means giving, making sure everyone has um, the capacity and the freedom to choose and, um, and really related to that is power and uh, some young people and some adults are going to have more power than others. Because of structural inequality and because of oppression, so and that and so that plays out in often men getting more power than women because men get status for being in sexual relationships, women get stigma for being in sexual relationships. If it's a relationship which is sexual, um, to uh, people's experience of uh, racism, making people feel like they might have um, less status in in society in a relationship than someone who doesn't have those. Um, doesn't have the experience of those oppressions but also like people with disabilities which we rarely talk about Mm -hmm. you know if someone has a disability um, everything that they've been taught growing up about their disability is that that makes them not capable of having intimate relationships and sexual relationships or romantic relationships and so they're coming from a place of scarcity where um, you know if they're told you know um, you're not going to find anyone who loves you which is do believe sadly a lot of parents yeah. and carers say to people with disabilities then um, if you get into a relationship then oh okay this is the one relationship I'm ever going to have yeah and so that's a way of inequality can gaslight us inequality can put us in a situation where we're more likely to find ourselves in a relationship that might end up being abusive
0: yeah, we um, we did some work on disability and domestic abuse um, a couple of years ago and one of the things that specialist practitioners said to us quite a lot is that because as a society we view disabled people in a way that, you know, they don't have sexual relationships or romantic yeah. relationships, then if you're in a controlling relationship and you're disabled it's like a double and triple barrier to yeah. even being aware that it's abusive and then especially to getting support because professionals just don't believe that you're in a relationship in the first place it's it's like yeah it makes it extra difficult yeah um, and that's not to say really that all people
1: all disabled people are going to be in, in abusive relationships but no. we're, we're talking about the the structural effects that yeah. it can have on people and that's yeah it's just like one example of how power and the different intersections of oppressions means that some people have um, have more power in a relationship than others mm-hmm. and if and then if we only have that plus the cultural scripts and we're not teaching anyone about any of this mm. then um, that's where that's where a lot of uh, abusive or unhealthy you know on mm. the unhealthy end of the spectrum uh, relationships um, are going to be taking place in that in that context.
0: Yeah and I think if when you're young if it's your first serious relationship you're mm. extra vulnerable to this because you don't have a blueprint for how things should be, apart yep. from what we see all around us, which yep. is problematic.
1: And also our our own experience of um, our primary caregiving mm. relationships, and um, and yet yeah, seeing how um, looking at how relationships happen around us, yeah.
0: So we might have covered this slightly already, but is there anything that you think you hear often from young people or young men that might be a surprise to people who don't work in this field or don't spend much time around young people? I
1: mean, in the time I've spent working with young men, um, I hope it's not a surprise to people, but I I guess it might be that actually they are really, really interested in uh, romantic relationships and intimacy and have talked to me and do talk to me about having Really big time feelings for people. or How am I ever going to get over someone? Or uh, I've got this friend, and I think I'm, I think I'm in love with them. What am I going to do? Or and um, one of the most basic assumptions that we have around men, masculinity, and relationships is that men are interested in sex and women are interested in romance, mm-hmm. and that uh, that's the only way around that it has to be, which is um, nonsense. Um, the the difficulty I've find with working with young men is something that keeps coming up is that they're very very invested in romantic relationships but to a point at which that can that, that romantic relationships with women so we're talking just about heterosexual male experience but romantic relationships with women are the only kinds of intimate emotional relationships that mm-hmm. they have and that there's a scarcity for them about uh, the opportunity for them to explore that with other people mm-hmm. so when that Relationship inevitably ends. Um, the person that has broken up with them, or the person they've broken up with, is the is the one person that they could rely on to help them get over the breakup. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of kind of other abusive kind of dynamics come in pl- into mm-hmm. play as well. Because um, if men are just seeing um, uh, this one individual as being that source of uh, their kind of emotional kind of um, uh, conduit um, and resource, um, then it's it's terrifying for them when it goes for whatever mm-hmm. reason, and um, that's certainly something that readers of my website ask me questions about. It's that kind of um, that seems to be what's going on with quite a lot of um, going, what's going on for my readers. Um, so it's the I guess the thing is is that young men are interested in romantic intimate relationships but it's always it but it's in only in the context of romance and so mm-hmm. the thing i try to do is to is to say look there are all these other different kinds of relationships how can we maintain how can men in particular maintain um emotional intimate connections with other men mm-hmm. and how can we make space for those mm-hmm. and actually in my experience of doing more in-depth work with young men that is there are, i definitely see that happening. I definitely see glimpses of that happening, but that often only happens in a space where young men feel safe enough that it's okay to do that. Mm. Um, And where they know that they're not going to um, feel, um, uh, they know that they're not going to be uh, uh, bullied by other men or uh, stigmatized by other men for having close relationships with other men. And so one of the things that I often say is that young men, I don't think that it's true that young men don't talk about their feelings, but young men don't talk about talking about their feelings. So it's yeah. kind of, I refer to it as the masculinity donut. So there's kind of external masculinities that young men have learnt, like ways to be a man that young men have learnt um, from culture, which are like the, the dough of the donut, but then the emotional work and the emotional and their intimate lives are the jam of the donut. And the thing that they're taught is to never reveal their jam. Yeah. Unless it's like safe to do so, and if young men feel that they're jammed under threat, they might create more and more dough, which is why often young men can be very difficult to work with, um, because they they do the macho thing in order to 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 protect the uh, the, the emotional sides, which they are, is rule number one of men's club, I guess. But once you're able to kind of to to demonstrate to young men that you understand that and you understand how masculinities work, then you can get in a situation where you can create spaces for young men to be doing this kind of really necessary work around um, friendships and and like family kind of relationships as well, and and crucially also relationships with themselves, Um, so they're not always reliant on um, relationships, you know, heterosexual romantic relationships with women.
0: I think that's a really interesting point, and it there's something you can see the vulnerability when a woman young woman has is has become the entire bearer of someone else's emotional yeah everything yeah, um, yeah. it's very easy for them that to become abusive or unequal in all kinds of ways, and yeah. for the man as well, he like these young men don't have the resilience around them to deal with yeah. the inevitable heartbreaks of Adolescence, certainly. Yeah.
1: Um, and of course, this can happen in non heterosexual relationships yeah. as well because the, the cultural scripts are still the same. You know, uh, a man who is interested in romantic relationships with other men will still be um, hearing all of the messages around um, uh, masculinity and what it is mm. that men should do and uh, the idea that men should behave in a particular way um, and that they can only do their emotional work with someone that they're romantically involved in. It's definitely. Um, you yeah, abusive dynamics happen between women in romantic mm. relationships and intimate relationships and within families and mm. within non-romantic relationships too um, but I think this is one particular this this thing about men being able to do more emotional and intimate work with people who aren't romantic partners I think is a real is a thing that we overlook and it's a thing mm. it's certainly one of the things that I try to cover
0: I think it's interesting when you said you know it's not that men don't talk about their feelings. I think it's it's that we're not giving them the space to I think, you know, we keep just saying, Talk about your feelings, talk mm, about your feelings yeah. but we need to provide those spaces. Yeah, it's just
1: them. it's often not safe for men to talk about their feelings. Uh because being a man can be very dangerous because of other men. Yeah. <laughs> and because of and um uh and often that might be, you know, men in families and what mm. young men have learned about what happens to them if they um if they are imaginable, and the messages they get related to how, um, you know, if they, uh, you know, it's a classic example, but if a young young man falls over, or if a boy falls over and grazes his knee and starts crying, he gets a very different message to if Mm. a young girl falls over and grazes his knee and starts crying, you know. It does happen from an early age, and these things are there's a lot of kind of psychodynamic stuff going on so it's our, often our early our relationships with our early caregivers our primary caregivers and the very strong messages that we get about mm-hmm. what is we're supposed to do um means that yeah there is a dearth of spaces and um that's yeah if we can create more spaces then that's that's mm-hmm. um, that'll be really good
0: it's they've done um studies even with how people talk to small babies if you slap a blue hat on a baby people start bouncing it around Mm. and saying oh you're a big strong boy but if you put a pink hat on the baby people are sort of more gentle with them and like it's yeah and I think Boys and girls both lose from that sort of treatment. Ultimately, yeah,
1: definitely, and, and we all kind of lose if we keep, if we also keep um, rarefying masculine traits and mm. you know what it is to be. You know, it, I think that masculinity is not just something that that young men do on an individual level. I think that masculinity is something that society does. It's like there are certain traits that are seen as most important, most valuable in a mm. capitalist society. Most um, Most valuable Mm. and they are to be tough and self-starting and independent and to be in control and to be dominant um, and to be aggressive um, and to be uh, tough, might have said tough already, Uh, and kind of like an emotional hardness but like you know um, the antonyms of those so uh, to be caring and sharing and supportive and to take part in things and to and to to do all of that kind of work is not valued so
0: much. And it's not paid. I mean, it, exactly. literally not valued. It's
1: literally not, it's li- yeah, in all yeah. senses of the word. So in a way, it's like we, again, I'm talking about like dominant culture again. And we'll, I guess I'll come back to talking about individual young men again. But you, we can't escape culture. And that's, you know, that we're in a culture that values traits of masculinity more than anything else. So the difficulty for young men is, well, you know, is when they when all of these things when they're taught to do all of those things and they are privileged and valued for doing all of those things and some a huge amount of work to do in explaining to young men why it is that they should no longer have those privileges and why mm. it's bad for everyone that we're all doing this but um but you know, i uh, Uh, a tiny bit of a Game of Thrones tangent, but you know, the way that people think about... No spoilers,
0: please. Yeah, no spoilers.
1: (laughs) Okay, I won't put any spoilers in. But the way that people react to Arya and Sansa, right, sorry, I'll, I'll make this very short, but people really started liking Arya because she became... Very violent and a killer, yeah. and people were like not liking Sansa because she was not. She was, yeah. and so there was like there was a performance of classic femininity and classic masculinity. And
0: Arya literally was dressed as a boy quite a lot of the time and pretending yeah. to be a boy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm not even, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, spoilers. But that's just like a, a very small cultural moment yeah. of, you know, and actually the way it turned out, actually that got a lot more complicated as yeah. towards the end no spoilers, but, um, but just to notice that that's that uh, how, you know, it's how the patriarchy works, isn't it? And um, and that it's set up culturally to do a number on all of us. Mm. Um, sorry, that was tangent, but I think that's where, you know, that's the, yeah. it's the important stuff that we're not talking about with young people as well. Yeah,
0: and I think if, you know, if we're teaching boys that the best way to be is to be all these things that are very coded as masculine, then what we're by extension teaching them is that the worst thing you can be is yeah, like a girl Exactly. and then how does that then set boys up to have meaningful healthy relationships in any kind of context with girls and women like how how are we supposed to treat each other as equals when we're all brought up to be you know
1: well exactly and it comes down to um uh I, it's Simone de Beauvoir stuff it's you know that that men are raised as subjects and, and women raised to, to be objects and yeah. so it's that that men are the ones who have agency and the women's are the ones uh for for who act as objects for the male subjects to that, the women have to be part of men's story not women being part of yeah. uh, sorry women to be part of the men's stories rather well, than other way around yeah. um so um yeah there's a lot to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah um so which brings us nicely on to challenges yeah <laughs>
1: so
0: is there any Anything you know in your work that you find difficult to deal with, or you know do you sometimes work with a group of young people and you hear things that make you feel concerned and you know how do you how do you work with all that sort of side of things
1: I mean I have done definitely um, and I still do via my website. I think that I'll start with the big my biggest challenge, which is um funding and government cuts mm. <laughs> and um, which is the biggest challenge. Like a lot of the people doing this kind of work were either youth workers or people doing youth work skills or training youth work, and there just is no longer the capacity. I mean, there are some, there are still some heroic youth workers out there, I should say, doing great work. However, the cuts that have happened to youth services over the last 20 years since Dwar well, started being a youth worker about 25 years ago. God, I'm old. Um, are huge. Like, mm-hmm. and there are like specialist youth support youth support teams kind of doing specific work around like knife violence and things like that. And there might be some around particular, you know, uh, aimed at doing um, work around domestic violence, intimate partner violence. But the just the the kind of youth work that we had, um, uh, spaces for young people to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, that were not in school where they would, um, they could hang out chiefly, but also they would be able to work with highly trained, highly talented youth workers who pinned their ears back and were listening to what young people were saying and giving mm-hmm. them spaces to work out this, the, the stuff that is just not talked about in schools enough. So to be able to work out how people relate to each other and literally teaching people how to do relating and mm-hmm. how to have rows and how to get over having rows and how to communicate effectively and mm. doing that work week in week out up and down the country just doesn't happen anymore. So challenge number one is like it's there is a structural challenge of the literal spaces where that kind of work was happening doesn't happen so much anymore and then the other challenge there is that there's not enough space in the school timetable um, to do that kind of work in any kind of depth, hopefully this is going to change. when relationships and sex education becomes mandatory from September 2020, although it's becoming mandatory from September but also next September, it's a good one i it a little bit. It's so a lot of it's, complicated things it's, going on at the
0: moment. Yeah,
1: it's both. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's going to be a long time before schools are really um, putting enough work, doing enough work around relationships in their timetable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you could do um, a lesson about relationships, uh, at least one lesson a week throughout the entire secondary school yeah. curriculum, I think, that really
0: It's a big topic, isn't it? It's a huge topic, <laughs> yeah.
1: um, so, um, so you know, that's another, like, that's another big issue. Um, so when it comes down to working with individuals, because individuals have just not had the opportunity to do any of that kind of mm. like, educative work or working through with people, they're often coming from a very low baseline and they're just kind of scrabbling together some of the skills and some of the values that they've picked up from around them around relationships, but often haven't had the opportunity to, to really think about them in any detail. So, you know, there have been times when I've been, uh, where I get young people um, like writing to me or working with young people face to face where they say some worrying things about relationships and you know telling me about abusive dynamics that they're in or telling me that they are part of an abusive dynamic without them realizing that they are a perpetrator of an abusive mm. dynamic and the, the The thing is is that um there's only so much you can do with that one young person in the time that you've got with them. Mm. So it's about flagging up some resources. It's about giving them some ideas. It's about hoping they'll come back and establish a relationship mm. with you, which has happened, fortunately, over the over the past. And I've definitely supported young people in navigating, you know, abusive dynamics in relationships. Um, but when there are not very many people doing that kind of mm-hmm. work in those spaces, that it's that's the biggest challenge.
0: Yeah. And so, do you? the people who reach out to you sort of proactively through your website do you find that they are reaching out because they've got like a problem or they need help or is it more that sort of not quite crisis point but they're reaching out to you because something's troubling them or is it does it tend to be a little bit more?
1: It's either that it's troubling them or troubling someone that they know Mm -hmm. so often it's a friend who can see what's going on? Because you know it's very difficult to see what's going on. I think when you're in, um, if you're being gaslit, uh, where you know you're made, you're made to think that all of the problems that you have in the relationship are in your head. We should explain gaslighting, as I suppose. From the film *Gaslight*, which I watched when I wrote the blog post about it, oh, yeah. I don't recommend it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I've watched
1: it. It's troubling, and there were two ga- two films called *Gaslight* that came out in the same year, just to confuse everyone. <laughs> I watched the one with Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, that's
0: the one I've
1: yeah. seen. Um, and so um, yeah, because it's very difficult to see what's going on when you mm-hmm. um, when you're in that, because that's how a piece of dynamics work. That it's often people on on the edge of it, um, you know, trying to support a friend or trying mm-hmm. to kind of like coax someone out of it. Um, um, I think that's the main kind of that's the main. And and when I've worked directly with young people, if I've had time to work with young people directly, and they're telling me about some of the things that are coming up in a relationships. You know, there might be some red flags for me as someone who's like mm-hmm. trained in this and has done lots of work with young people where I can ask some gentle, open questions about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I've got some resources that help with that. I've got this thing called the relationship graph um, where people kind of think, are able to step outside of the relationship a little bit and think, okay, how how much trust is there in the relationship, how well do we communicate, how honest is it, do we actually have good times anymore, mm-hmm. um, is there still this chemistry that we used to have, um, do I feel safe, um, you know, things like that. And they kind of think, well, um, what is actually going on and am I in love or is this what love is meant to feel like and mm-hmm. what is, you know, if someone keeps telling me that they love me, then surely that's all that I need, and that's all that you know. I've mm. been taught that is the most important thing. Um, again, it's an example of like culture gaslighting us, um, and so kind of navigating that, and and also saying to young people that all you know relationships end, um, mm. and that you still have agency, and you need to have a relationship with yourself, and um, and crucially, as I was saying earlier, with your friends and your family and your mm. other people in your life. Um, that's kind of my, you know, that's the, Some of the tactics that I would use with young people, but um, it depends on what kind of training you have and what kind of um, what kind of um, background you come from. But um, what I, what doesn't work for me, I don't think it would be to say to young people, "Okay, you're in an abusive relationship. Let's yeah. get you out of this."
0: Yeah, we hear from young people that they that, that term just doesn't relate with yeah. them a lot of the time, um, and we, you know. We've done some work with young people where they've talked about being referred to a specialist domestic abuse service mm. and then getting there in a support group with like women in their thirties who have two kids and right. and it's just a, it doesn't yeah. like relate to what they're experiencing at all. Yeah, um, and
1: it's that thing of um, abuse is a thing that happens to other people, yeah. isn't it? nobody and wants
0: to think that it's something that.
1: No, yeah, exactly, that and that, I think that's the, one of the problems with this, like, dynamic. Uh, sorry, this binary of mm-hmm. uh, abuse, non-abuse, mm-hmm. and also the other thing that we don't do, we will come off this, I'm sure, in relationships and sex education, is to we don't do any gain framing. So we don't talk about what does what does it feel like to be in a relationship where it's consensual and intentional, and love is not just something that is said to you to trap you into a relationship, but it's done. You know, mm. love's like the idea of love as a doing word to yeah. quote a massive attack song. Um, and that um, you know how does that feel and what does that look like and can we think of any fictional examples from, mm. you know, and to look at culture. And um, you know, if culture's doing in numbers, can culture also help us here? Um, but again it's just isn't it not enough time spent on that.
0: Yeah. Um and i guess so one of the things i wanted to ask is whether over the fairly long period of time you've been doing this if you've seen any changes sort of i guess aside from the obvious um like the cuts point and the mm-hmm. scarcity of resources but anything that's changing that you think in terms of how young people are having relationships or what things are like for them is it getting easier they getting harder
1: oh. <laughs> In some ways I don't think things have changed an awful lot mm. and in other ways they have. Mm. Um, I think that there is an increasing awareness now. I mean, one of the one of the good things about the internet is that young people can visit websites like Mindfish or go to Scarlet CM, which is another really uh, great website, or access services like The Mix where young young people can talk to each other and and, and experts online but then also they're making up for spaces that are no longer around on the ground yeah um, and and it's and I would rather we have the services on the ground and good websites quite mm-hmm. frankly um but um i don't i i mean i honestly don't think that so i think there's been an increase in knowledge of terminology and an increase in knowledge of um some of the some of the ideas, but I don't think that we've necessarily really equipped young people with the tools to do relationships differently. Mm. I think that's the thing is that um, because we get because a lot of relationships and sex education is stuck on kind of um, very uh, um, didactic kind of pedagogy, like telling young people what a thing is rather than giving them mm. the tools to navigate how to do it and how it might feel and, what, and getting people to build on their values and to and think of it as like an ongoing practice um, then young people might be aware of terminology but they're not necessarily aware of like how to navigate it I think.
0: Yeah I mean I'm like 27 now so it wasn't very recent when I did my um, RSE at school but Mm. I mean from what I remember it was about preventing pregnancy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and STDs and that was pretty much it there wasn't there wasn't really but there was I think there was probably a video about relationships um, but the yeah it was one lesson and it was very um, sort of clinical, biological.
1: I would let my head hit the desk here, but (laughs) it would sound awful with the microphone on the desk. It's, I mean, that, yeah, that's not changed enough for me if we're talking about relationships and sex education. There are some schools and there are some heroic teachers doing really Mm. great work. And so some young people are lucky to go to a school where they have a PSHE coordinator who um, is doing it because I think it's important. Mm. Because they don't do it because it pays. (laughs) And they don't do it because they get any status within the school often, sadly whatsoever. Some schools are very good at putting PSHE at the centre of their curriculum and making that the most important subject. They often end up being the best schools, mm. both in terms of like healthy schools, like young people reporting, um, you know, good health outcomes for young people, but also good educational outcomes, you know. That, but mm. and we've, even though we've known this for many years, and the PSHE Association and the Sex Education Forum have been doing really great work on guiding schools with this. Often schools are not doing that, and so it is often young people's sex education is still what you received.
0: Yeah, and it, you know it wasn't LGBT no. plus inclusive at all. It no. was. It may have been mentioned like yeah. these people exist, but let's not <laughs> let's not really dwell on yeah. them too much. No. Um, um,
1: yeah. I mean, there are. Um, I've been working on a project called Do RSE for Schools, um, which is um, a project sponsored by Jurex, so that means it's free for teachers to access, and me and my colleague Alice Hoyle wrote the resources for this, and it's like, um, I'm doing a little plug here, but hopefully it's like a useful thing for any practitioner to this. but there's like um, six hours worth of lesson materials all about how our relationship with ourselves, messages we get around how men and women should or shouldn't behave. Consent and communication, relationships, and and some stuff on safer sex, which we thought we'd better put in because DORAEX yeah. <laughs> were funding it. But you know, it's about all yeah. of the stuff that we've been talking about, and there's also lots of resources on there to help teachers who are not very confident. But ultimately, to come back to another political rant: is that unless some, unless there is funding and capacity for teachers to get trained and help for the organisations delivering training around relationships and sex education. And even like really expanding what would mean by relationships and sexual education and just thinking that you know imagine what it would be like to to do a whole module uh with year 10s on what trust means mm-hmm. like that would be great or you know and looking at being able to look at um power in the nuanced way that we've been talking about it and mm-hmm. thinking about how to do consensual relationships and thinking about why it is that romantic relationships is at the top of a the pinnacle of relationships and everything else that's beneath that and why we you know why we do all that. All of the things that we've been talking about we can be delivering in RSE mm-hmm. if there were the time, the resources and the expertise to do it. And at the moment there's some of those some mm-hmm. of the expertise, but there's not a lot of the other stuff.
0: Yeah. So my final question was gonna be what do you think as society we can do to Support and equip young people to have healthy relationships. Yeah, and I guess we've kind of touched on it, but if yeah. there's anything else you want to throw into the well, bag of so
1: stuff. certainly relationships and sex education in schools. Yeah. Uh, also, if ever if I could get um, lots and lots of funding for my website, that would also be great. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like we it's we don't just learn about sex and relationships from um, school. Mm. But we learn about it from parents as well as from broader culture, and so. parents and adults and all of us um, anyone in the world could learn how to do relationships better and more consensually Mm -hmm. and I mean this is actually something that I do with adults too with my colleague Meg John Um, we run a podcast where we talk about relationships a huge amount called the Meg John and Justin podcast and we have materials at our website megjohnandjustin.com where people can think about how they do relationships with each other and not just romantic or sexual relationships but Um, how we do them and how we um, communicate and how we talk about what kind of dynamic do we want and what do we want this relationship to to give us and what can we do with this, what do we want this relationship to give us and how do we make our relationship with ourselves really important and how do we do self-care and self-consent and how do we talk about boundaries and how do we make sure that people are listening to our boundaries and um, how do we make people accountable. Um, for consent violations and what does that mean even and how do we understand where we have power and privilege and how that means that it's on us to be doing more of the work around consent and more of the work around negotiation and how can we aim for consent rather than aiming for things to happen such as sex or a relationship or making a partner go on holiday or any of the other things that we do in our mm. relationships and to get to get over the fact that all of our the, the default for everyone is that we're all obviously in healthy relationships because often we're not mm. and often there are things going on in our relationships that are actually quite harmful so it's no good saying you know let's just teach these young people over here and they'll mm. be fine if we're not doing this with ourselves and we're not modelling it and we're not modelling it with young people or each other and it's all a bit kind of and that's one of the things that really irritates when people talk about relationships and sex education and young people if only we can get to the young people hang on a minute let's all do this because mm. we all had terrible relationships and sex education like I, I was never taught anything about relationships mm. I don't, and how many of you dear listeners were taught about relationships in schools and mm. literally how to do them how to communicate mm. how to have an argument how to listen mm. you know that stuff so um We could all just be doing a lot more of it, I think. Really.
0: Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like a good place to finish. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Thanks.